Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Come on, you guys can take your seats, turn to the person next to you and say, besides me, you're the best looking person in the house. And then turn to the other person and say, sorry for not choosing them. (laughs) Wow, it is awesome to be on the Sunshine Coast this morning. I apologize if my demeanor is a little slow. I had a wonderful bout with food poisoning last night. And so I've been, yeah, you can imagine what my evening's been like. So, But by the grace of God, we are here in uh, believing that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken this mortal body. Because that's what the Bible says. Um, if we actually believe the Bible, we'd see more things happen. It's true. Hey, it's awesome to be here anyway. Uh, Pastor Paul and Kate, thank you so much for having me. Can we just honor your awesome leaders this morning? Say thank you. Aren't you blessed with great leaders? And uh, great things don't happen without great leaders. And Pastor Luke and Nikki, some of my biggest heroes in the world. Uh, You know, you guys heard of youth camp? You guys all know about the big youth camp? Um, That youth camp would not exist if it wasn't for Pastor Luke and Nikki. Um, I, I, I had an idea. I have lots of them. But I had an idea, and I sat down with Luke and Nikki and another guy called Dan, and we discussed, why don't we do this camp together? And your church actually uh, saw the greater vision rather than just an individual vision, actually canceled the youth conference. That's correct, isn't it? So that we could hold this camp that's now absolutely, it's the largest youth camp in the entire state of Queensland. And so I just want to honor Luke and Nikki. Can we just honor them and thank them for who they are, people, and... uh, Hey, it's awesome to be. If you don't know me, my name is Joel. I was on staff at a church in Brisbane called City Point for 11 years. Uh, And two years ago, I felt, me and my wife, Savannah, felt the call of God to leave Australia. And we intended on moving to New York City. And God had different plans and moved us to South Africa, which was almost the same. And, uh, and we got there, and, and God's just really put a vision in our heart to see Africa set on fire with the gospel uh, so the world can watch a continent burn for Jesus. And so uh, it's been an awesome time preparing that, getting ready. Um, we actually, in the past six months, uh, have seen over 2,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Uh, we've had over 400 testimonies of miraculous healings, over 400 people delivered from demonic oppression. Um, And that's real. And uh, we don't talk about demons much anymore, uh, but they're real whether we talk about them or not. Um, And and so it's been an awesome time. Uh, We've actually moved back to Australia now. We have a team running it on the ground there. And my microphone, they don't like what I'm saying up the back. They're like, shh. And uh, and so um, I, I... I fly back in two weeks to go up to Kenya for 14 days. We're taking a team of 12 people up into the bush in Kenya. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I also just got back from Europe. Um, people say that Europe uh, is dead for the gospel. It's hard as soil. But I have some good news, some testimonies that uh, we went through uh, in 10 days, eight cities in six different countries. And we saw over 25,000 people in attendance. We saw over 3,000 people born again in those 10 days. Um, come on, somebody give Jesus praise. We, um, we went into, into Paris 
right into the heart of Paris and we hired out the, one of the most famous theaters. It's called the Rex Theater, the famous theaters in the middle of Paris. Uh, we booked it out as the first Christian event ever to be held in the theater and we packed it with over 3,000 young people responding and just Jesus doing incredible things. We went down to Portugal. Uh, now, Portugal is a nation that's around 96% Catholic. In uh, 500 years ago, when the Reformation happened, they rejected the Reformation, which said they will not receive the doctrine that salvation is by grace and through faith alone, not by works. Um, and so they rejected that as a country. Legally, they rejected it. And so they still hold a 96 percentile Catholicism in the nation, nominal Catholicism, I, I might add. Uh, but we were also able to hold the largest gathering of young people in the nation's history, um, which is unreal. We saw hundreds receive Christ. In fact, one of the pastors there also, he had a metal rod put in his elbow from a surgery six months earlier. And uh, in one of the sessions we did in the morning, we prayed for the sick. And uh, he was able to testify that that rod had completely disappeared. Um, and so that's awesome. I know that stuff's a bit hard for our heads. Um, I can't explain that. It just happens. Uh, a, a metal rod disappeared out of his elbow. Um, we serve a supernatural God. And I, and I love that your church is opening up this series on the supernatural because I don't know if you know this, but as Christians, we are not meant to depend, meant to depend on natural abilities. We are to lay down our lives, surrender it, and yield it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, empowered by His Holy Spirit, so that we would live in this life with a supernatural advantage. Like It's not arrogance, but it's good for you to be aware that not the world, you are the blessed of the Lord. Like You are highly favored by God. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation whom God called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's you and I. That's not the world. And so we have to have recognized this reality that we are called to greater things. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to function under the power and the anointing of our great friend, the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit is not just a tingly feeling on the back of our neck? He's not just a long extended worship moment. I honestly believe in, in, in our days we've, we've dumbed down the power of the Holy Spirit to tingly feelings and extended worship sessions and maybe, maybe sometimes speaking in other tongues if it's not too offensive. But I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. He is the power of Christ in the earth. He's the revelation of Jesus Christ in the earth. And we are called and we are anointed by God. And if you don't realize it, you are anointed by God. We, we, we have to recognize that we are the anointed ones. And so we function with a supernatural advantage, but we have to start to believe that's how we're supposed to live if we want to live a super, the natural lifestyle. Like we, we should live in an expectation what, what happens to other people won't happen to us. Like I live in my life in such a way I do not expect to get food poisoning last night. And I'm absolutely shocked when it happens because I believe in the divine healing power of God that lives on the inside of me. I, as I said before, I believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will, lives in me, quickens my mortal body. So if I begin to believe this, I can live in such a way that I'm shocked when I get sick. 
And now human wisdom can creep into things and we, everybody gets sick. But let me tell you, the Bible says that carnal thinking is enmity against God. Meaning hum, using human wisdom wars against the things of God. We are not called to function in human wisdom. We are called to function in the wisdom of God, which is made manifest in the person of Jesus. He is the will and nature of God revealed. In fact, the Bible says that He is the wisdom of God. He's the center of everything that we are. And I want to tell us today that we are the anointed ones. And it's time the church starts living like we're anointed again. You know, Jesus Himself, when he was baptized, you know, and the day he came, he went to the water and John the Baptist baptized him. He went under the water and it says he came up and it says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And then the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus did any miracles, before he functioned in any power, he had to be anointed by God. And he found his identity and his purpose in what God said about him. His Holy Spirit came upon him and Jesus said, I am well pleased with you before he did a thing for the kingdom. If we want to live a supernatural lifestyle, we need to one, recognize that we are anointed by God. Because in the book of Acts, it's, it says it was prophesied by the prophet Joel that it shall come to pass in those days, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old, your old men will see visions. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. There'll be signs in the heavens above and wonders in the earth beneath. That day was made manifest in what we call the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and descended upon the believers in the upper room. And that is not limited to that upper room. In fact, it says it's in Luke eleven eleven that will he not give his Holy Spirit to them who ask? So if you have not asked for it, then you probably don't have it. But if you have asked for His Holy Spirit, He is a good Father and He only gives good gifts. And if you ask for His Spirit, He won't give you a rock. He won't give you a snake. He will give you His Holy Spirit. And if we realize that we are the anointed ones of God, then we won't limit a supernatural lifestyle to a preacher on a platform, to an evangelist on the television screen, and we won't compare. We'll recognize that we all carry the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now, what that says to me is that if we carry the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that means we all carry dead raising power. And I know it's like, yeah, cool, but like, think about it. Like if we believe what we believe about the Bible, if we believe in Jesus, if we believe in the Holy Spirit, then we have been anointed by the same Spirit that rose our Christ from the dead. He's the same Spirit that's performed every miracle in all of history. He's the one that sees the lame walk when Benny Hinn prays for them. He's the one that draws millions to Christ when Reinhard Bonnke preaches the gospel. It's the same spirit that does that work that dwells on the inside of every single believer, but our believing has limited us to what we can do. And if we recognize, if we begin to believe this simple truth that we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of us, we will start to live with an expectation that we can live in a super, the natural way. Do you believe that this morning? I want to read you a passage of scripture. I gave Luke 
uh, scripture, but we're not going to use that one. Sorry, guys. It's a Joel special. You can turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, and if you, if you don't know, the Apostle Paul is uh, the writer of roughly two-thirds of the New Testament. He was the original ISIS. Uh, he was the original Christian killer. That was his job. His, his job was to order the murdering or imprisoning of Christians. Uh, and, 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 but this is, he had a radical encounter with God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he turned the world on its head. And so just quickly, it's important to note that no one's so lost, they can't be found. No one's so broken, they can't be fixed. No one's so sick, they can't be healed. No one's so sinful, they can't be set free. Amen. The Apostle Paul, he says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom to declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. This is the Apostle Paul who was in no way stupid. He was in no way naive. He was so intelligent. In fact, the Bible describes him as one of the most intelligent uh, uh, people in his day, uh, but he was just on the wrong team. But when he came to Christ, he, he made this distinction between information and revelation. That information, you know, non-believers can read the Bible and still be non-believers. The Bible in itself, the words don't carry the power. It's the Spirit that reveals the words that brings it alive to transform a life. And so the Apostle Paul, in no way was he putting aside being intelligent. He was never saying, don't use your brain. But he was saying, I do not come to you with persuasive words of human wisdom, but I come to you with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. In the information age, in 2018, where everything's going crazy, where you can search Google for any bit of information or idea you want, there needs to be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power back in the body of Christ so we can look at least a little bit different to the world. Because right now we look exactly the same as them except we have a few more rules than they do. We live according to the same wisdom that the world lives in. But Paul says, we do not want to rely on the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. Because the wisdom of a man says this, and I've heard a pastor say it, and it breaks my heart. He, he said to one of his congregation members, you know, you have depression, but depression is your friend. You just have to learn how to manage the friendship. That's called the wisdom of the world. Jesus would not have said that. Jesus would have said, come here, son, let me help you. And the power of God would touch them and that chemical imbalance would rebalance with a touch from the Holy Spirit. But we have to be so careful. And, and to the Apostle Paul, he says, he, he says, I don't come to you with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of a man, but in the power of God. He, he goes on to say there is wisdom. There's a whole lot of wisdom, but not the wisdom that you think. He says it's a wisdom that's found in the Holy Spirit. 
He then goes on to say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And we love to stop there and we always want this future hope. He says, but it's already been revealed in Jesus Christ. The things we're hoping for, the things we have not seen, we can find they're in the person of Jesus and it's time we get Him back in the church. The Bible says that the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if there's no freedom in a place, then Christ isn't there, plain and simple. Because if He was in the room, freedom begins to happen because He is the anointed one who, who we function in His authority and His great Holy Spirit, amen? No, there's this, I really believe that the power of God needs to be manifest in the church again. And I know in the past things have gone a little haywire and a whole bunch of stuff. But the truth is we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because people also don't like Jesus. We don't throw him out. You know, I see many people want to invite Holy Spirit into their meetings. And when he comes, they make sure he never comes back. Because it's too uncomfortable. Because non-believers might not understand what's happening. And I understand we want to make it comfortable for people. However, let us not grieve the great Holy Spirit. I, I watch Holy Spirit come. He starts to come. People start to look strange and we go, we can't have that happen and we never let it happen again. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He will come at the amount that you let him come. He will not force his way into your life. But if you open it up, things begin to happen. We serve a supernatural God and when supernatural things happen, people start calling it heresy. They start calling it demonic. I mean, in my life, I've seen very strange things happen. In my, in my living room, we've had people sitting there, we've been praying and all of a sudden, they're all covered in gold dust. Now, I don't understand why the gold dust came. I don't understand what to do with the gold dust, but I do know it happened. Or, or, or we've had diamonds manifest in our, in our bedrooms or on aeroplanes and all sorts of crazy things. But you know that same supernatural ability that does those strange things that I really don't have answers for, except for when heaven turns up, he might leave a little bit of a trail. <laughs> that same spirit is the same spirit that we've watched do 40, over 15 times have self-harm scars disappear, disappear off people's bodies. It's also very confronting. It's when we talk about metal rods, I can watch and perceive in the spirit those who are like, yes, those who are like, no way, and those who are like, I don't believe it. But these signs will follow them who believe. They will heal the sick, and they will cast out demons. They will speak in other tongues, and we won't go on to the snake handling and poison drinking. I don't recommend it. But we have to recognize that we have to release the power of God again in our church. But when I say in the church, not in this church, but in the church. Because the power of God's not limited. The supernatural signs and wonders of God are not limited to a church meeting or a congregation. Because that power is not in the building. That power is in the believer. There's a, there's a preacher in America. And he says the most frustrating place for the Holy Spirit is inside of a believer that won't let him out. <laughs> Come on, he's in us and it's time we let him out. You know the story in the, the gate beautiful. There's a, there's a story in the Bible and uh, Peter and John are on their way. They've just been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they, they're on their way and there's a man sitting on the floor and 
He's a crippled man. He would have been sitting there for years and he reached out to Peter and John and he says, uh, he's asking for money, asking for alms because he's a beggar. That's what they do. And, you know, many times we'll preach sermons about expectation and we'll use this great story as an analogy for expectation, which is true. However, Peter says to the man, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it's the Bible says that the man stood immediately to his feet and was totally healed. Now there's this, this old saint and he, he, he says this statement which, he says, while the church can no longer say silver and gold I do not have, it also cannot say rise up and walk. Meaning the church got money. It lost its power. Now, of course, I'm generalizing. There are many great churches and believers who carry the power of God. But it's this thing of we've become afraid of the power because we don't always understand it. You guys know John Morgan? Has he been here or you guys know him? He told me this statement once. He says, it's, you know, if you take a fork and you stick it in a light socket, the power that comes out of that light socket into the fork is going to make you look a little bit strange. When we tap into the supernatural power of heaven, sometimes things look a little bit strange. Now, I'm not an advocate for strange for strange's purposes. Because I, I believe if your Holy Spirit encounter doesn't produce change in you, then I have reason to question the validity of your encounter. Because we can be religious in our falling on the floor and our shaking as much as we can be religious in our sitting in our pews doing nothing. Now, Again, I, I say all that saying, I love when people are on the floor and shaking. Like that's one of my favorite kind of meetings to have. I, I, I really enjoy it. However, I will not live limited to it because whether the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so if someone's shaking, rattling and rolling and doing whatever they need to do, if they get up with cancer, I'm not okay. If they get up still living anxious, I'm not okay. Because when the Spirit manifests, there's a power that comes to set us free. His presence, His presence ushers in the miraculous powers of heaven to see heaven come and to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven where there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no torment, there's no fear, there's no depression. But His kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 18, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When the anointing came upon Jesus, which is the same anointing that we live in, it came for these reasons, so that we would preach the good news to the poor. Miraculous signs and wonders are there to either confirm the words that we're speaking or to express a facet of God that would draw people closer to the heart of God. To proclaim the good news to the poor, to set the captives free to give recovery of sight to the blind. That is not just an analogy for people getting their vision back. 
I, I, I'm thankful again that we can use those things and say, maybe you've lost your vision, but God wants to give you your sight back. And I'm thankful because it's true. If you've lost vision, if you've lost purpose, He wants to give you purpose and vision back. But this is saying that the anointing came to give blind people eyes again to see. I know we have modern science that can do those things. It doesn't negate the power of God still needing to be manifest. Because a doctor can fix it and thank God for a doctor. But when I'm in Africa and there's a blind man in front of me and he gets his brand new eyes, things begin to happen. Like we were there and we had one of our meetings and the end of the meeting they brought a man to me, 60 years old, born deaf and mute. Never heard, never spoke. In front of the whole congregation, So I prayed for the man. I prayed four times. Nothing was happening. And I prayed one more time. I went to the side of this man and I said, sir, can you hear me? And he nodded his head. And I said again, sir, can you hear me? And he nodded his head. So I grabbed him by the hand. I took him up on the stage. His niece was with us. 60 years old, never heard, never spoken his whole life. I got her to explain the story. And I said, watch what God just did. And he can read lips. So I stood behind him. And I held the microphone to the lady so she could hold it in front of him and so I wouldn't have it. And I said very gently, sir, can you hear me? And he said into the microphone, yes. We serve a supernatural God that when people are oppressed by demons, we have an authority to pull them out of people. Like it's just a thing. I don't like it, but it's real. And we, we, there's all sorts of people who have doctrines around demons, but the truth is most people with all their doctrines are the ones who have never dealt with them. Because when you get in the dirt, when you get into a room with a 16-year-old girl that has a spirit of abuse that was put there by a horrific man many years ago, and you bring the light and love of Jesus, things look a little bit hectic, but on the other side of hectic is freedom. Because what happens when a demon manifests, it's a demon throwing a tantrum. It's a demon testing what you believe. Because when it happens, you can either freak out and go, well, I, I, I'm not qualified to deal with that. And the demon sits back in his place and takes residence. But he knows if he can throw it, it's like a child. If a child throws a tantrum, it's testing how firm the parent's going to be. Am I going to give in to this tantrum or am I going to say, well, it's just the way it is. When a demon manifests, it's throwing a tantrum. So you speak to the thing and you say, it's time to come out. And they come out. They might come out quietly. They might come out violently. We've had them throw up, people throwing up blood. We had a young girl praying. A spirit came out of her, out of her nose. Blood just went. I don't understand it, but it happens. It's very quiet. (laughs) But this this, this is what it is. There's a supernatural life where it comes to the power of God performing miracles through the lives of every single believer. Like in every country, in every city that I go, if I have time, I do altar calls for those struggling with anxiety and depression. And almost every time, roughly a third of the room comes forward. Now we can sit here and give human wisdom all day and we can counsel demons or We can recognize that anxiety in the heart of man is a spirit of fear and we need to come in with the authority, the perfect love that casts out all fear. Because, and I understand they can be clinically proven and we can medically diagnosed and that doesn't 
take away from the fact that where it started was a demonic influence because it's not right that people would not be in their right mind. But when Jesus encountered them, the crazy man who was chained up, we would give him a few pills and say, good luck. Jesus went in and said, Legion, get out. And, and, and look, I'm not, again, negating the fact sometimes we've got to journey this with people, but that doesn't change the fact that there's an authority in Jesus, which is our authority, that can stop it before the journey. That can pull it out so there's not a journey. But it's the truth that sets people free so they can have an encounter with God and we can remove the demonic force and then we teach people truth. Otherwise, they can fall back into deception. But it's the truth, but they have to know the truth so they can believe, so they won't believe the lies. But we have to recognize, I see hundreds of people totally set free from anxiety in a moment. I get messages all the time saying, I've never, ever been the same. I was in Sweden and I, I, I was walking through thousands of people in this conference and the, I did an altar call for, for this sort of thing and I get a message six months later from a young girl who, who writes to me and she says, uh, I was at the conference you spoke at in Sweden and I want to say thank you because you've changed my life forever. And, I, and she said, what happened was, is four months before the conference, I was raped by an, an older man. And because of what I'd, I'd been through, I was on this journey and I was starting to fail in school. I, I, I was upset, I was broken, I was hurt and this whole thing, and she said, and, and the day before I came to conference, I had just cut myself with a knife on my arm to deal with the pain. And she said, I came to the conference with an open wound on my arm. And she said, and, and, and you walked past, she said, I don't know if you remember or not, but you put your hand on my head, and you left it there just a little bit longer than everybody else. She said, but that night, I was saved. She said, that night I went home and all the guilt had lifted off me. All the shame had lifted off me. She said, I was afraid of even seeing men and that's been totally lifted off my life. And she said, when I got home, my mother asked me where the cut had gone and I looked down to her arm where an open wound had totally disappeared. There's a place where we have to believe in the supernatural power of God, even if our culture and our society wants to quiet it down to be safe, to be, counter, to, to be culturally relevant. Friends, I pray that the church never becomes so relevant at a cost of a revelation in Christ and Him crucified. Because in Christ and Him crucified is everything that we need. I was in America and I was preaching in a church in Phoenix and we did the first service, packed service, and God moved, some people got healed, some people got saved, and you know, I, I get to say those things like just quite flippantly, because that's every meeting that we hold. No, I'm not puffing myself up, it's because we believe for it to happen. And, 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 and it came to the second service, and I had my message ready, and I, I was three minutes in, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, shh, because sometimes us preachers like to talk too much. And he, he's saying, let me, let me just do something and then you can talk again in a minute, John. And he said, I just want you to pray for some people and then continue on with the meeting. And I was in my head, and this is all in a second. I'm like, God, I'm a guest minister. They've asked me here to come here and preach. I can't just not preach and pray. I've, I'd never done this before, but I felt in my heart. And so I just stopped and I said, before we move on, I just feel like there's some people who want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to come quickly. I want to pray with you. And then we're going to continue on with the meeting. Eight people came down the front. The power of God touched all of them. An hour and a half later, we had prayed for every person in the entire church. 
That meeting was awesome. And we, we were coming back in the afternoon. And, and on the way there, the pastor's saying, look, this is our smallest service. We're a little bit embarrassed even preaching at it. Uh, and look, truthfully for me, I, I don't care if there's 5,500 or five people. The gospel works for everyone. And I was like, it's no problem. But we arrive, and the church was 10 times more packed than it had been in over 15 years. Because of what God did in the morning, not because of the wisdom of a man. Now, I'm going to tell you some things, and this is not to puff me up, or, but I want to show you what happens, because I didn't make that decision. The Holy Spirit asked me to do it, and I obeyed. So what happened is we, we had that meeting, and the evening came. Uh, we opened up to pray for miracles. A lady came to me with an envelope, and she said, I watched you this morning on the thing, and I want to tell you I'm so thankful for your obedience. And she gave me this envelope. In that envelope was 5,000 U.S. dollars. Another person came to that meeting, and she was in the meetings in the morning, and she brought her grandson, who was 16 years old, and he was dying of a disease called polycythemia. It's a slow-growing blood cancer. Because she saw what God did in the meeting, she brought her grandson to be healed. We prayed for hundreds that night. The next night, she actually believed that prayer works. Because it doesn't matter how often we're like, yeah, I'll get some prayer and we go home and live exactly the same. We never even think to check if it worked, to think it may be. And she went, she took her grandson to the doctors. I'm sure it wasn't free. And they tested his blood on Monday. They scanned his body, and in his body, there was not a trace of cancer to be found anywhere. Again, that, that church took up a love offering for, for me and the ministry that we're doing. And again, this is not to puff me up. This is to show you how things shift when we trust in the Holy Spirit rather than the wisdom of a man. They took up an offering and they have many large speakers go through this church and many very important people. And the offering that the church took up was by far the largest offering they'd ever taken up in their church in the history. Again, it's not to elevate me, it's to say there's a place where the Holy Spirit needs to be able to function and do what He needs to do. I don't think that has to look the same every time. I, I don't just pray, like this morning, we haven't just prayed for people all morning because I didn't feel the Holy Spirit asked me to do that. But if He had, I would do it. And, and so what happened is I flew out of Phoenix on Monday. I arrived in another city in America on Tuesday. We were holding a meeting on the Tuesday. I told the story of how the young boy was healed of polycythemia. And I, I told this story and there's another man about 60. He was in the meeting. He came forward and said, I have the exact same blood cancer. It's like God was lining it up. And we put my hands on him. We prayed for the power of God to touch him. The man fell to the floor and started sleeping in the meeting. A bit rude, I think. <laughs> he got up from that. He went to the doctors the next day. They searched his body. They scanned his blood. He writes up on Facebook, I have been totally healed. There's not a trace of cancer anywhere in my blood. The worship team, you can come. I was in that meeting and I was speaking with one of the pastors and, you know, we don't have this problem so much in Australia, but there's this whole movement in America which is called the seeker-sensitive church. And people have all their different views and opinions about that sort of thing and I don't really care. I just do what God tells me to do. But the pastor asked me, what do I think? Because they have a church down the road for them that's growing at a rapid rate 
but keep it very, very safe. And so some of his team are saying, well, maybe we should dial it back a little bit. Maybe we should do this and, and do that. And, and because I honestly, uh, the more I go in ministry and, and the more I get to experience things, I'm not convinced that numbers are the only example of success. Because the truth is we have country clubs bigger than our churches in our nation. We have nightclubs packed with thousands and thousands of people every Friday and Saturday night. But I, I, he asked me the question, what do I think? And I, I don't like to speak on things I don't know. And I think stupid people give answers to questions that they don't have. And I just said, Lord, what do you... And, and as I asked him, he gave me this thing. And I'm, he said, Joel... People who don't know Christ are, are bound by sickness and disease. They're prisoners. He said, I, I, I'm not looking for a seeker-sensitive church. He said, I'm looking for a sinner-sensitive church. And I said, God, what does a sinner-sensitive church look like? Now, one, it's not a judgmental church. It's really important we establish that we as believers live according to the Word of God. Non-believers are not subject to live under the laws of God. So we don't have a right to judge or condemn them because they don't believe what we believe. So we love them, they meet Jesus, then we get to teach them how he lives. But he said, a sinner-sensitive church, he said, you can take a prisoner and they can be in a prison cell. And he said, you can give them a nice double bed, an incredibly comfortable double bed, and they can sleep in a comfortable bed in their prison cell, but they're still a prisoner. He said, you can even put in a, a nice large television screen, a 70-inch curved 3D Netflix, YouTube, unlimited internet, and they can lay in their bed, be comfortable, and they can watch their screen and be entertained, but they're still a prisoner. And he said, you can even line up their, their, their prison cell with a, a buffet breakfast. And he said, you can in fact even knock the wall down of the cell next to them. You can give them their own private ensuite. They can be comfortable, entertained, full, and have space to just live a little bit, but they're still a prisoner. He said, what's more attractive to a prisoner than comfort and entertainment? Freedom. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The heart of God is not pleased with a stadium pact of 20,000 people and His Spirit's not in the room. I, I, I'm not having digs at anybody. I don't know the hearts of any, uh, it's between them and God and what they're doing. But I, I'm just saying what God spoke to me about. Because I don't want to have a whole room of people comfortable on their way to hell or staying sick, or staying tormented, because it's a little bit uncomfortable. The truth is, the power of God is more uncomfortable for religious people than it is non-believers. Religious people get all up in arms. Non-believers are like, that was weird, what is it? It's a little bit intriguing. They might think we're a little bit crazy, but if we recognize that it's the love of God manifest through the power of God, because love is everything. Love's the answer. The Apostle Paul says you can speak in tongues. You can, all the angels and all, you can heal the sick, do all these things. But if you have not love, then you're a clanging symbol. So we would never negate the love, but it's the love of God expressed through the power of God 
to say that we want to see people set free. I want to see the oppressed set free. I want to see more depressed people healed. I want to see more schizophrenic people healed. I want to see more people have metal things come out of their body. I want to see cancer obliterated off the face of the earth. I, 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 and I won't live by what I see. We're called to live by faith and not by sight. Faith and not by feelings. Faith and not by experience. I could get up here and speak to you about miracles and the enemy could come and put condemnation on me and say, Joel, you're sick right now. And I just choose to ignore his lying little voice because I know who my God is. My grandmother died just two months ago of Parkinson's disease. She's been tormented for years. I've prayed for her countless times, but I will not take my experience and say, God, maybe that was your will. No, that was the will of the devil, and I carry the power of God who came to destroy all the works of the devil. Sickness, disease, torment, oppression, insecurity, fear. It's all works of the enemy, and we cannot sit back and watch a generation be ripped off. We need need to be a super the natural church. We need to function in supernatural power, not just in the building, but everywhere that we go. Romans says, for all creation eagerly awaits with earnest expectation the revealing of the sons of God. The world is waiting for you to realize who you are. Who you are. It's time for the power of God to come again. It's time for us to rely on the strategies of God and not on the strategies of Hillsong. That's not an attack on Hillsong. Brian Houston hears God and he's doing what God has asked him to do. People shouldn't do what God asked Brian to do. They should do what God asked them to do. Again, we can learn. It's, it's not negating the gross. We don't look to Stephen Furtick and say, that's how I need to do it. We look to God and say, God, how are we going to do it on the Sunshine Coast? How am I going to do it in my family? How am I going to do it in my university? Hey, if that's the way for me, God, then I will go that way. But if you have another way, then your hand will be on the way that you have chosen for me, not on the way that another man is taking me. We need to be a supernatural, Holy Spirit-led body of believers because the truth is we have not seen Australia saved. In fact, the vast majority of Australians are going to hell. What do we do about that? Keep on doing the same old? Or do we ask God, what's the strategy to see Australia one for Jesus Christ? What's the strategy to see revival in this nation? And I want to tell you, we need an awakening. We need a revival. We, this nation cannot change through the, the, a president in parliament or a prime minister in office. It won't change from a preacher on a platform. This nation will only change by a mighty move of God's Holy Spirit that cannot be contained, that cannot be explained and that cannot be controlled because it's the wisdom of God it's foolishness to men but to God we carry the power of God to salvation it's time we need a mighty move of God's Holy Spirit and it's for every believer's life every single person young and old we don't need another religious experience we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in every facet of business, of culture, of society, in our business places, in our families, in our universities, in our churches. It's time we live a little bit more uncomfortable. He's called the comforter for a reason. 
The reason we're not seeing revival is because we're too content living without it. The reason the church stopped getting drunk on the spirits because they're too busy being drunk on the world. We're obsessed with the things of the flesh and afraid of the things of the spirit. Again, I'm not saying we need to go back to Toronto. I don't want what God had then. I want what God's doing now. But I want it to be in His Spirit. A supernatural life submitted and yielded to the power of God. There's an old evangelist. She said, I don't, God doesn't want golden vessels. He doesn't want bronze vessels. He doesn't want diamond vessels. He wants yielded vessels. Those that would subject themselves to His leading and to His Spirit.